The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison. Now, of course, it is the start of the new year. It's the start of 2022. Great time to look at the property market around Australia. In fact, if you were to ask me, though, I'd say any day, any month, any time, it's a good time to look at the property market around Australia. I'm slightly obsessed with it, as is much of Australia. Now, if we look at housing values nationally, they've increased by close to 23% since March back in 2020. The big question that everybody is asking now is will that kind of growth continue or have we peaked? Well, we're joined now by Tim Lawless, the head of research at Core Logic. Tim, so good to chat to you again. How are you? Hi, Oriel. Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. I'm, I'm nicely refreshed after the festive period, but uh, yeah, ready to. Uh, to look at how the housing market's going this year, which I think is going to be quite different from what we saw last year. Oh, it has to be, doesn't it? I, I mean, you know, we know that every single conversation pretty much but eventually gets round to, to property market and to, to real estate. And in fact, there's a number of Australians, very lucky Australians, who have literally won the real estate lottery over the last couple of years. And, and in fact, one of the most recent headlines that I read in the last few days was that more than 300 suburbs in Australia joined the $1 million medium house price club in just seven months. I mean, that's just, that's just, that's outstanding, isn't it? Well, it depends from what perspective you're looking at it. If you're a homeowner, absolutely. So that, um, that 22 odd percent growth you mentioned in, in dollar value terms, Nationally, we've seen the typical homeowner see about $130,000 added to the value of their home. Or if you're in a market like Sydney and you're, you're lucky enough to own a detached house, we've seen the typical value rise by about 315000 So yeah, for homeowners, it's been a great year and we've seen a lot of wealth being built out of housing. But if you're not a homeowner and you're looking to get into the marketplace, then clearly affordability is becoming a lot more challenging through a year where incomes hardly moved. Yeah, exactly. It's not all moving at the at the same pace. So so let me ask you the big question here to start off with, Tim. These type of gains that we've seen over the last 12 to 18 months, can it continue? Have we reached a peak? Is it just about the pace of gains? Where are we at, do you believe, for 2022? Yeah, the, the, the cycle is starting to slow down. We're still seeing housing values rising, not as fast as what they were through the early part of last year. So it looks like the peak rate of growth was probably back in March or April of 2021 for most of the capital cities and the regional markets. So back then, we were seeing national housing values rising at nearly 3% month on month. That monthly growth rate has wound back to about 1% uh, by the end of last year. But in markets like Sydney, where, where values back in March were rising at about 3.7% month on month, We've seen the growth rate fall much more sharply. Uh, December values only rose by three-tenths of a percent. Melbourne was actually flat over the month. Well, it was down 0.1%. So essentially, it had leveled off. So it'll be interesting to see if these trends continue into 2022. 
my guess is we could see a little bit of a bounce back in the growth rates, but the broader trend is probably going to be one towards less growth in the marketplace as we see fixed rate mortgages rise and affordability pressures building and maybe even uh, potentially some credit tightening happening down the track. Seeing a slowdown in in the type of price rises that we've seen is very different to reaching a peak, isn't it? And, um, you know, when you're talking about the issues that may well impact us this year, which we'll certainly break down and talk talk about in more detail, are we anywhere close to a peak, do you think? Well, I think we probably are approaching um, a peak sometime this year. So let's just talk about what a peak is. So a lot of people have already called a peak in the market simply because the growth rate is slowing down. I don't think that's a peak. That's that's simply moving through the peak rate of growth. Um, a peak in the market is generally when you start to see consistent months where values have fallen or have leveled out. We're not quite there yet, but If you look at markets like Sydney and Melbourne, it's pretty clear the trend over the last six months has been towards levelling, although clearly there's a bit of noise and volatility through lockdowns and that type of thing. So once we start to see values moving consistently lower, um, I think that's that's when it's fairly safe to call a peak. When's that going to be? Not too sure, but, but almost guaranteed it'll probably be sometime later this year. And we're already starting to see some of the indicators around, say, you know, interest rates or credit growth. Those sort of things are starting to, I guess, be the uh, the forebearers of this of this peak in the market that we probably will start to see values peaking out once once rates start to rise, for example, or once credit policy gets tightened further. Diversity is significant in Australia, obviously, and, and that diversity between capital cities and regional areas, and in fact, diversity within Australia, within the various states of Australia, seems to be increasing and, and, and widening. And if you look at that breakdown, um, Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems that Brisbane and Adelaide, along with regional Queensland, are the only broad regions where there seems to be very little or, or, or almost no evidence of value growth slowing. Is that fair? Yeah, that's that's very true, and uh, it's a it's a really important point to make that you know while, while the headline figures in the larger cities are clearly slowing in their rate of growth, that's not happening everywhere. And those three regions you, you mentioned, Brisbane, Adelaide, and regional Queensland, haven't shown any evidence that they're starting to lose momentum just yet. Each of those three regions moved through a new cyclical high in both the monthly and the quarterly rates of growth. A couple of explanations for that is, you know, each of those those three regions, they're generally much more affordable than, say, Sydney or Melbourne. They've got a pretty good demographic trend behind them, especially southeast Queensland, which is seeing a really strong interstate migration trend fueled by you know, more people working remotely and uh, the affordability uh, proposition. And then you've also simply got the fact that uh, there's this ongoing trend towards Areas that are characterized with some lifestyle uh, to their to their marketplace have become extremely popular. And that probably plays in with that, that remote working and uh, more people being able to uh, not have to physically be in the office or at least uh, five days a week seems to really have opened up a lot more markets to, uh, to housing demand. So, well, let's talk about supply and demand. I mean, obviously, this is, has a huge factor on prices in the market. And what, and what we've seen has been, uh, you know, Building activity continue, obviously, um, during this period because not a lot of houses have been put up for sale, essentially. What are you seeing in terms of supply going forward through 2022? 
So there's, there's two ways to look at supply. One is the traditional way of how many new homes are being built. And clearly, we're on a, on a fairly strong upwards trajectory in the number of new homes being constructed. Um, on the back of Home Builder, of course, we saw a record number of houses being approved for building, and that's now flowing through the system into commencements and then work on site and ultimately completion. So we've got some way to go there. And I think that will be quite an extended construction cycle, partly because of the magnitude of, of how many dwellings have been approved to be built, but also I think there's going to be some delays in delivering that stock simply because of all the supply chain constraints, both in labor supply and building materials that's pushing up construction costs and uh, clearly delaying some projects as well. And then you've got the other aspect of supply, which is you might describe it as effective supply or advertised supply, how many homes are, are available to purchase. And as, as you said, Oriel, that's been really low through 2020 and 2021, but we started to see a real trend through the final quarter of last year of more stock being added to the market. And part of that was just catch up from some of the lockdowns in New South Wales and Victoria and the ACT. But that doesn't explain all of it. I think we're really starting to see now vendors taking advantage of the equity they built up in the market, looking to offload, as well as what's been very strong selling conditions. But the big question is whether or not demand is going to keep pace with that level of newly advertised supply. It's probably one of the ways that we can explain the slowdown in the rate of growth, especially in Sydney and Melbourne through the, uh, the final quarter of the year was simply that buyers finally had the opportunity to take a little bit more time, that they've got less urgency, there's more stock to choose from. So some of that competitive tension has, has uh, dissipated with higher stock levels. Whether or not that continues uh, this year is yet to be seen, but we have started the year pretty strong. So we've already seen auctions, for example, um, over the coming week are going to be about 45% higher than a year ago. We are seeing the number of new listings being added to the market about 20% higher than, uh, than average at the moment. So it looks like we're, we're really moving from a market that's been characterized by very much empowered sellers to slowly rebalancing back to the, something that's a little bit more balanced between buyers and sellers. What does that mean for housing affordability? I mean, obviously, as prices have gone up, and as you very rightly pointed out at the start of our conversation, higher housing prices means very different things for homeowners versus those that are trying to get into the market. Now, the fact on top of worsening housing affordability is the fact that this is an election year. What can we expect to see, do you think, in terms of solving this housing affordability crisis and put that together with the fact it's an election year and therefore probably more activity from the government, what would you expect to see? Yeah, it's going to be so interesting to see how this plays out. It's, it's not like affordability is a new issue for Australia. We've, we've seen housing affordability being a challenge for a long time. Um, it is a little bit different now in the sense that affordability is much more challenging for those people looking to get into the market rather than those people who are already in the market and just need to service their debt. Servicing debt's pretty straightforward for most debt holders because of where mortgage rates are, but obviously mortgage rates will rise. They're already rising for fixed rates and variable rates could rise later this year if we do see the cash rates starting to lift. We've seen the dwelling value to income ratio in some of the most expensive markets like Sydney is now well above 10 times, meaning for the typical household, they're spending more than 10 times their gross annual household income to buy into the market. And that really creates a big, I guess, entry point challenge in raising a 20% deposit in funding their transactional costs. 
This is going to be a real um, election platform, a policy platform, uh, addressing home ownership, addressing housing affordability. Normally, the way we see politicians tackling this issue is through throwing incentives towards first own buyers, which isn't great. You know, that that doesn't really fix the long term issue. It, it incentivizes demand rather than addressing the supply side issues. So it'd be great to see in this election a lot more focus on the supply side, not just on building more homes because that's that's kind of happening, but on ensuring that affordable locations around Australia are well connected by infrastructure, for example, that they have enough of the essential amenities like schools and healthcare, that type of thing. And now that we're starting to see more and more people looking around regional Australia for housing options, that becomes even more important. Uh, that we do have um, essential services and so forth in those areas that are adjacent to the capital cities or maybe in markets where uh, the outer fringes, where sometimes those um, those necessities aren't quite as uh, available. Do, do you think that we're going to see lending rules tighten? I mean, of course, we know that APRA uh, recently lifted the interest rate serviceability buffer for mortgages and some are saying that APRA will intervene again this year. It's definitely a risk in the marketplace or a downside risk for housing markets. If we did see credit tightening further, then based on past experience, that would limit the number of people who are able to participate in the market. But I think that risk maybe has lessened a little bit over uh, the last few months, partly because we have seen the rate of credit growth or housing specifically, uh, housing credit growth has started to, uh, to ease off. Um, but we're still seeing the number or the proportion of high debt-to-income ratio mortgages being written is still high. It's up at around 24% of all mortgages. Higher debt-to-income ratio lending means uh, it'll flow through to household debt levels, which are already at high um, record highs. So chances are, if we do see a further rise in, say, high debt-to-income ratio lending or we see household debt getting higher, and the two go hand-in-hand, that would probably be the catalyst for credit tightening. So I wouldn't say it's a certainty. And if we do see a um, an event like that, it'll probably be fairly focused debt to income ratios or potentially further adjustments to the serviceability buffer to make sure that new borrowers are well and truly prepared for higher interest rates. Talking about higher interest rate, you, you did touch on this a little bit earlier on in our conversation, but obviously the Reserve Bank really has to walk a very fine line between you know raising rates, causing havoc for those with mortgages. If we look at some of the latest um, views, the latest suggestions are that the Reserve Bank could hike as, as soon as May of next year. What sort of uh, forecast for interest rates are you putting into your into your forecasts overall for the housing market? Yeah, to, to be honest, we we would generally rely on on the mainstream economic community for uh, for their interest rate assessments. Uh, we, we we don't focus on macroeconomic forecasting at CoreLogic. We're more a housing um, analytics house. So just commenting on some of those forecasts, there's a there's a big spread in in interest rate expectations. At one end, you've got financial markets. So the ASX cash rate futures is clearly pricing in three to four rate hikes this year. Whereas you've got the RBA still holding to their the sort of late 2023 mantra. And then in the middle of that, you've got the mainstream economic forecasts, which are now sort of pulling their their, their interest rate forecasts generally into 2022, maybe early 2023. So that's probably where I would fall as well. It looks like inflation could surprise on the upside. It looks like labor markets are tightening. Clearly, the, the Omicron outbreak may, may throw a little bit of uncertainty in that. 
the chances are we could see rates rising earlier than what the RBA has been forecasting. And again, that's a downside risk to housing and higher interest rates, particularly um, higher cash rate leading to um, higher variable mortgage rates would probably have some further downside impact to, to housing activity, which um, could see the marketplace peaking a little bit earlier if, if we did rates rising earlier. Put this all together that we've been discussing, Tim, and put it into the rental growth trends um, that we're seeing at the, at the moment, because we have seen rental prices increase in certain areas. Again, there's a huge amount of diversity across Australia. How do you see rental price trends uh, panning out this year? I think rental markets are going to remain quite tight, partly because we're not seeing a lot of new rental supply coming into the market. It's good to see investors are stepping up once again. And and if we do see investors continuing to rise, hopefully that results in more rental stock becoming available. But then you've got the opposing side of that, which is international borders opening up, uh, um, which of course has an immediate impact on rental demand as well. Most of of our migrants coming into Australia, be them temporary migrants or permanent migrants, they're going to rent before they buy. Uh, And and if we look at pre-COVID numbers, around 60% of migration was temporary. It was foreign students and visitors and so forth. So we should expect that those inner city apartment markets in particular are going to start to see much stronger demand. Um, against a, a backdrop of what's been a fairly weak 2020 and 2021 in those inner city apartment markets. But also more broadly, we've started to see more domestic demand getting diverted back into apartment markets simply because that's where rents are more affordable. So I think we would we will start to see unit rents really starting to, uh, to pick up into next year, maybe not as much in detached housing simply because we're seeing rental affordability pressures becoming quite uh, stretched in that sector of the market, which of course, is going to deflect more demand back towards the medium to high density sector for rentals. Now, Tim, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. I've sort of put together the forecasts for property values for 2022 that have come from the major banks. A bit of a range between around about 5 and 8% um, between NAB, ANZ, CBA and Westpac um, over the course of uh, 2022. Um, But then all of them are forecasting then a correction in 2023. So we're looking between sort of 4.9 and 8% rise in 2022 um, and a correction of anywhere between sort of 4 and 10% for 2023. I Do you believe in that range? W- would you be in there somewhere? Yeah, absolutely. That sounds perfectly reasonable to me. And I think below those annual headline numbers, again, there's going to be a lot of diversity. You'll probably find that... Uh, if we did see rates rising or credit tightening later this year, then we could see housing values actually falling towards the end of this year um, and then falling through most of 2023 as well. Hence, hence their forecasts for, for the year after this um, are generally down or negative. But then if you look across each of the capital cities, the forecasts are quite different. And again, I, I probably uh, agree with them that markets like Southeast Queensland, and Adelaide probably stand out as looking like much better fundamentals for for outperforming the broader market, whereas markets like Sydney and Melbourne, which have much more significant affordability constraints, and are seeing quite a demographic headwind as well as we see a lot of residents move to the regions or move to uh, interstate. That's taking away from some of the uh, from some of the demand as well. So I think there will be quite a bit of variability in in how the housing markets land. I think one of the outsiders might be Perth. You know, we've seen a lot of disruption in the Perth marketplace through closed state borders as well as international borders. 
And my guess is if the economy remains strong over there and state borders finally open up, we'll see a bounce back in interstate migration and a lot more people taking advantage of what's actually an extremely affordable market over in Perth. You know, it's actually, in looking at just median house values, Perth, the lowest of any capital city, even cheaper than buying into, say, Darwin or, or Hobart. So if I was to give you, Tim, today, $1 million, and I was going to say, you have to invest it somewhere. It can be a house, it can be a unit, it can be regional, it can be in the cities. Where would you put that $1 million? Well, the first thing I would do is I say, thank you very much, Oriel, for giving me a million dollars. That might be the last you hear from me, actually. But, uh, <laughs> um, but I think from, from a housing perspective, absolutely, I'd be looking at southeast Queensland. Uh, not necessarily Brisbane, but I think Brisbane's good. But uh, the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast, I think, will remain very strong markets. Maybe as a bit of an outsider, I think the Brisbane unit market is looking uh, much more appealing at the moment. In Brisbane, you're paying a median value of about $450,000 for an apartment. That's roughly the same sort of money you're looking at back in 2010, so more than a decade ago. And we're really starting to see uh, demand picking up in that sector, both from rental and and purchasing as well. Uh, Yields are pretty strong also. So outside of Southeast Queensland, um, some of the other regional markets that have fairly diverse economies and are within commuting distance to the major capitals, I think are also appealing. Adelaide would be my third option, then probably Perth after that. All right. Look, Tim, we thank you so much for joining us um, today. You're always hugely popular um, with our viewers and our listeners. So um, we really appreciate your time today and for breaking it down and, and, and making it into such a, a very good story for us. So we're looking forward to seeing, seeing what 2022 holds for real estate in Australia. Absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, Royal. I'll speak to you next time. Definitely. And of course, thanks to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Have a great day. We'll see you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.